Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's a big week of Thanksgiving football. We've got Packers versus Lions, 49ers versus Seahawks, number one Ohio State versus number three Michigan, and of course, the game of the year, our Black Friday, Iowa versus Nebraska, the lowest over-under point total in college football history. So if you guys head to Bet Online Sportsbook today with the link in the description of this episode, use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, when you make your first deposit, you can get a 50% welcome bonus that goes towards betting under 26 and a half on Iowa versus Nebraska. 26 and a half is the over-under, and I guarantee you should bet the under. Bet online where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. It's the whole purpose of this podcasting thing. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose. And we appreciate that you have decided to stop in however and whenever it is that you may be choosing on this fantabulous NFL Monday of week 11 it's our nfl monday week 11 and a half because it's week 12 in college football and week 11 in the nfl i'm sorry that we haven't talked more about the college game this year there just hasn't been uh, a crazy matchup or a crazy upset in the last six weeks to break down it's just been a whole lot of connor stallion sign stealing scandal we talked about that a little bit couple weeks ago we'll obviously talk college football with Michigan taking on Ohio State coming up this weekend it's going to be fun and wacky and exciting once college football playoff rolls around and we'll have more college football talk as we go along and obviously cutting the show from five days a week to three days a week we've had less content to fill and it would appear college football has been squeezed a little bit on this show but today we're going to have a fantastic conversation around the NFL world we're going to talk about all the wild and wacky happenings from this group of games on Sunday. 
We are going to do a bonus podcast. I should let you guys know. Eagles versus Kansas City. We're planning to do a podcast post-game following their Monday night game, the NFL game of the year. We always come in and do post-game podcasts whenever we have a big-time game like that. And because the game is going to be on Monday, we'll do a Wired Up bonus podcast for Tuesday this week. You guys are not going to want to miss our reaction to Eagles in Kansas City. That'll be a bonus in addition to all of the NFL Monday content that you are about to get on this show. We're going to break down games from the day. We're going to hand out the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. We're going to do all that fun stuff and more here on the Take It Easy podcast. First and foremost, here on this NFL Monday... We have the rare NFL Monday where we take it back to Thursday. Because most Thursday night games, we don't acknowledge their existence. I don't watch most Thursday night football games. One, because I don't want to pay for Amazon Prime. I don't want to support that corporation and that conglomerate more than I already have to in this capitalistic society. But secondarily, because... Joe Burrow went out for the season with the Cincinnati Bengals after tearing a ligament in his throwing hand. And, oh, by the way, the Baltimore Ravens, the team that we come here every week and say they've got to be the most infuriating team to root for in the NFL because you know that that team is great and you also know that they probably aren't great enough to get by in the AFC. Well, the Baltimore Ravens put on a clinic a clinic of a performance on offense. Gus Edwards went berserk. They dropped 31 on the Bengals. They're 8-3. and three. They're going to coast to that division title. And our man Blake Jude has been a friend of the show since 2020. He first came on right around the time the pandemic was getting started and we were doing NFL draft stuff. Uh, we first met each other back in 2019 when he was doing the Stripe Hype Cincy stuff and we were doing the comical sports meme stuff and we were joking about how the Bengals were the greatest 0-10 team in the history of football. And all of that led to Joe Burrow becoming the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. It's been a wild ride for Blake Jude over these last three and a half years. And maybe we'll bring him back on the show coming up sometime here to talk about Joe Burrow and the Bengals injuries. But man, to my guy, Blake Jude, salute to you. Cause we were doing podcasts in that 2020 season when Joe Burrow got hurt and starting to feel like the Bengals were going to ruin this guy's career and it wasn't going to go the way that they had hoped. And in within two years, they just completely 180 flipped it on their heels. When it was Zach Taylor's going to get fired, when it was Joe Burrow tearing his ACL and looking like the Bengals weren't going to be able to develop him properly and he would be another number one pick gone by the wayside in an organization that quarterback careers go to die even though that's kind of unfair for the Bengals sake like they've had three franchise quarterbacks now in the past 20 years it just feels like the Bengals constantly underperform to expectations and so because of those weird expectations it felt like the whole Burrow experiment was going to be a flop, uh, but they they turned that thing around immediately. They they brought in the LSU Tigers of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, recreated that offense, went with it, and dominated the NFL for two seasons. And now at the end of year four, we're right back where we were in 2020, which was Joe Burrow having a catastrophic injury that will leave him out for six months, or in the case of the ACL tear, about nine to ten months, miss an entire second half of a season with injury, And the Cincinnati Bengals are left with more questions than answers about the blueprint for their team going forward. 
And granted, the Bengals got more winning out of this than I think was possible in the first place. Like, let's fully acknowledge that the Cincinnati Bengals got a shit ton out of this run that they had with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and Joe Mixon, and T. Higgins, and everything that they were building up with draft picks over the last four years. They won play. They won their first home playoff game since 1991. They won their first road playoff game since the 1980s when they beat the, the Tennessee Titans on that last second field goal. They are the only team since the end of Tom Brady's Patriots career to go into Arrowhead and beat Kansas City in a playoff game. Granted, Kansas City had to mess that up And by that, I mean having a 20-0 lead. They blew a 20-0 lead in that playoff game, and it was more so Kansas City throwing it away and Cincinnati not driving the whole thing off a cliff and being able to beat Kansas City despite the fact Joe Burrow got sacked nine times in that AFC Championship game. But they are the only team to beat the Patriot uh, to beat Kansas City in regulation in a playoff game in the Patrick Mahomes Andy Reid era. Cincinnati accomplished that the following year came back and beat Baltimore in a home playoff game beat Buffalo at Buffalo and came within one missed kick away from going to overtime again in the AFC championship game at Kansas City Cincinnati accomplished a ridiculous amount of football success within two years went to a Super Bowl made another AFC championship game won four, sorry, won five playoff games in two years. This was legitimately one of the three best teams in football over the last two years and completely outperformed expectations because they've never had a playoff seed higher than number three in the AFC. They were the four seed the year they went to the Super Bowl. They were the three seed the year that uh, last year when they lost to Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. They've never had a season in which they were higher than the third seed in the AFC, and they went to a Super Bowl and made it to an AFC Championship game and came within five seconds of going to overtime against Kansas City in that AFC Championship game. Like, the Bengals have outperformed expectations. I say all of this as an immediate preface to the fact that I don't know how the Bengals are going to bounce back from this one. Because the Bengals have fundamental flaws on that roster and a dum dum as their head coach that I don't know Joe I don't think Joe Burrow playing at an MVP level is going to be able to overcome all of that. I just don't think that's the reality here for the Cincinnati Bengals. And look, Joe Burrow from week five until the injury last week against Baltimore in week eleven. For those six weeks he was playing like one of the three best quarterbacks in all of the NFL. And he was doing it for in large part with Jamar Chase playing injured and T Higgins missing half of those six games or five games or whatever it was that the Bengals were playing. But the Bengals have some fundamental issues on that team around Joe Burrow. First of which being T Higgins is probably going to be the cap casualty that comes with Joe Burrow now making $50 million a year. Because again, you can't keep everyone when the quarterback makes that amount of money. What that normally means is that the pressure now falls on the general manager in order to bring in talented players alongside Joe Burrow, who's now making $50 million, primarily through the draft. 
And the Cincinnati Bengals have not really had strong draft picks over the past few years to back up Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and those draft picks that they have hit on over the previous few years. They brought in Jackson Carmen as a second round pick, a player they reached on who also is detailed to have uh, sexually assaulted a woman during his time, or sorry, sexually assaulted a girl who was underaged during his time at Clemson. We've talked about that story in the past. That was someone that they invested a second round draft pick into. Over the past couple of years, they drafted Miles Murphy, who's coming along as a player who's making an impact, but hasn't been playing significant minutes for them over the past few years. They drafted Jordan Battle. They drafted DJ Turner uh, in last year's draft back in 2021. The since uh, in addition to the Jamar Chase draft class, they took Joseph Asai, who again has been a player who they hoped would be an impact on the defense. His name is most known for hitting Patrick Mahomes on the roughing the passer that set them up for the Harrison Butker game-winning field goal. But in case you hadn't noticed, this year Joseph Asai has been out for most of the season with injury. Uh, Cam Taylor-Britt was their second-round pick in 2022, and he might ultimately become a star for that team. But he hasn't been an immediate impact player the way that like a second round pick of Trayvon Diggs completely transformed the Dallas defense in such a way that when they have Dak Prescott making the money that Dak Prescott is making on his contract, they can supplement that by having Trayvon Diggs providing them top five cornerback production on a discounted contract. And so it's incredibly unique to watch this in real time as the Bengals don't draft pro bowlers or draft players that will bring them significant impact. Uh, they, they drafted Dax Hill in the first round in 2022. He replaced Jesse Bates, who's now uh, playing for the Atlanta Falcons. Von Bell has moved off of the team as a cap casualty for them. They went all in for two years. This year was the last year of Burrow on the cheap contract, and now they're looking up at having some uncertainty about what the the roster is going to look like going forward. Add in the fact that Joe Mixon was basically forced to take a pay cut in order to be brought back to Cincinnati this season. So there's a lot of stuff going on there with the Cincinnati Bengals and their roster construction. And Duke Tobin is their general manager who, again, got Joe Burrow and got Jamar Chase, but since then has kind of just been middle of the pack in terms of bringing in talented players. I mean, they haven't had a Pro Bowl draft pick since Jamar Chase. And granted, that's three years worth of drafts. I mean, these players are all still on their rookie contracts, and many of them are providing significant snaps for the Bengals, like Cam Taylor Britt. He's a rookie. I'm sorry. He's a second year player in the picked in the second round who is going to be a starting corner for them for the, the, the seasons upcoming. But they haven't really fixed the offensive line issue in a way that suffices them. Uh, obviously, I mentioned the draft of Jackson Carmen. They signed Orlando Brown Jr., which has been one of the worst free agent signings over the past couple of years. And uh, Jonah Williams, their former first round pick, is in the midst of a contract dispute with the team and really wants to get the hell out of Cincinnati. So again, it's not going great for the Bengals in terms of roster construction from here. That's one of those fundamental flaws that will likely prevent them from being able to supplement Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow over the coming years. Because 
they, they got to have some sort of pivot. And the thing that Kansas City has going for them, in addition to you know having the greatest quarterback of all time and one of the greatest offensive co- or the greatest offensive head coach in the history of the NFL, one of the things that Kansas City has going for them is last year they started six rookies or second year players on their defense if you take 12 including the nickel corner position 6 of 12 and they got by last season without having the best defense in the league and then this year they have the best defense under the Mahomes and Reed era because a lot of those players are on cost controlled contracts and first round picks like Trent McDuffie George Karloffis uh, Nick Bolton in the second round these are players that are having an immediate significant impact on that defense. And because they strategically drafted all of them in combination to each other, because Kansas City took the philosophy of get as many hits on the board as we can get by trading Tariq Hill for draft compensation. They got as many hits on the board as they could possibly get. I think in the 2022 draft, Kansas City went into draft night with the most draft picks of any team in the NFL. Or I think they were tied with the Packers for most draft picks of any team going into draft night of 2022. And two years later, you're seeing those players that were picked in 21 and those players that were picked in 22 on the defensive side of the ball, all learn the defense and hit their stride in combination with each other. Cincinnati hasn't had that kind of success drafting. They haven't had that success in in signing Orlando Brown Jr. and trying to address the issues on the offensive line. Cincinnati hasn't had those guys. Joseph Asai has not been an impact player for them this season in what is now his third year on a four-year contract. So he's going to be coming up on an extension and they got to decide whether they're replacing him, extending him, or looking at an expensive replacement option because the draft pick they had didn't hit the way they hoped they would. And that's, by the way, why the Buffalo Bills are out here signing Von Miller to a $120 million contract and why they're signing, uh, was it Connor McGovern to the offensive line? Like they are, they are, when you go to, when you're a team of that caliber and you're going into free agency for a high priced option, it's because you didn't have a draft pick that can, meet the production level that you are expecting of a team that is trying to be top three in a tightly contested AFC to support your franchise quarterback. In addition to all of that, the the drafting, the free agent signings that, again, they haven't drafted a pro bowler since Jamar Chase three years ago, and they also haven't had a big time, a big impact free agent signing. On the flip side, they've lost major Free agent signings, Jesse Bates was a a devastating loss on that defense. Uh, Von Bell, less devastating, but still they would like to have him. Dax Hill replacing him might uh, in two years look like a good move, but they did have to invest first-round draft capital in Dax Hill. In addition to those draft picks and those free agent signings, something else that's happening for the Cincinnati Bengals is... Their defense is ranked 16th in the NFL this year. Kansas City's defense has been ranked in the bottom half of the league during four of the five previous seasons with Patrick Mahomes. The defense being subpar was the thing that prevented them from winning the championship in any of those five. I mean, they've won two of the five championships and they've made three Super Bowls in the five years of Patrick Mahomes. 
the years that they didn't win the championship, the year in 2018 with with New England in the playoff game uh, that went to a coin toss and New England ended up going down the field and winning, and in 21 with the Bengals, those seasons, the reason they didn't win the championship was because of defensive shortcomings. The thing that's going to hold Cincinnati back is probably defensive shortcomings. And we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Bengals playing, uh, I think it was the Niners, when they beat the shit out of the Niners. The thing that I pointed to with that was the Bengals have fundamental flaws that are going to be hard to overcome even with a healthy Joe Burrow. This was when they were 1-3 and three and on the come up again because that defense at the time was ranked 20th in the league and it's ranked 16th in DVOA as things stand right now. And granted, this season's now a wash because Burrow's out for season. But even if Burrow were in there and healthy, I mean, they were looking at like fifth or sixth best team in the AFC territory. And I don't see fundamental changes to the roster that are going to help get them over the edge as they move into 2024. I just don't see those moves happening. They're going to extend Logan Wilson. They have to make a decision on Joseph Asai as a foundational piece of that defense. I mean, they have three foundational pieces. They have Mike Hilton, they have Trey Hendrickson, and they have Logan Wilson. Those are the, those are the fundamental pieces of that defense that will be there long term. Almost everything else is a question mark for the Bengals. And it's just a tough decision that they have to make because they haven't been able to find their next Logan Wilson, who was an, a Pro Bowl player drafted in the same draft class as Joe Burrow. He was the first pick of the third round that year. And that 2020 draft class was the foundation of what the Bengals have built over the last two years. It was Burrow on a rookie contract. T. Higgins was their second round pick on a rookie contract. Logan Wilson, who's a Pro Bowl linebacker as their third round pick in the first round. Like those three picks along with Jamar Chase at the top of 2021, those have been the foundational pieces. They picked three pro bowlers and T Higgins who hasn't made a pro bowl, but is of pro bowl caliber player. They drafted three pro bowlers and a thousand yard receiver within the span of basically one draft. I know Jamar Chase was the pick in 2021, but they basically throughout the 2020 season after Joe Burrow tore his ACL and MCL in order to get the draft pick that would become Jamar Chase. That season doesn't happen without Joe Burrow tearing his ACL. That draft pick doesn't become a reality without Joe Burrow tearing his ACL. They essentially got four Pro Bowl caliber players and a franchise quarterback that might be one of the five best in the NFL. They got that within one draft, essentially. And so where the Bengals stand now is they haven't even found one of those guys in the time since. They've subtracted guys on the periphery like Jesse Bates, and they have some fundamental issues in the roster construction that I don't think they'll be able to overcome if they're ever going to get back to an AFC championship game in a conference that has Kansas City, Baltimore, Miami, and Jacksonville not just competing for the top four seeds this year, but also in pretty good position next year. The Jaguars don't have to pay Trevor Lawrence because he's one year behind Joe Burrow on that scale. The The Baltimore Ravens have revamped that roster around Lamar Jackson with that contract by, out of dumb luck or whatever you want to call it, the greatest safety prospect in the since Jamal Adams falling to them at pick 14 in the draft with Kyle Hamilton. 
They drafted Kyle Hamilton. They drafted Patrick Queen with Lamar Jackson on the team. They drafted those two as pro bowlers. Traded a first, uh, I think it was a second round pick, but they traded draft compensation for Roquan Smith, who has gotten to Baltimore and been a stud edge rusher. Uh, Michael Owe, who they picked in the first round of the draft, he has been not quite a pro bowler, but he's been better production-wise than any Cincinnati Bengal draft pick of the last three years. And he was a draft pick in the 2022 draft class. He's come in year two, and he's had an immediate impact greater than any draft pick the Bengals have made over the previous few years. And you've seen Baltimore rebuild that thing on the fly because they drafted two pro bowlers on defense, brought in Roquan Smith and Michael Owe as their edge rushers, and they look like a legitimate top defense in the NFL. And by the way, they didn't bring in a star receiver, but they did change up the entire receiver room. Like the receiver room for Baltimore was one of the worst in the league, the same way that the Bengals offensive line was one of the worst in the league. Baltimore over these last two years where they just had catastrophic injuries, they at least had the hindsight or the foresight to just change up everyone in the wide receiver room. They brought in Odell Beckham. They drafted Zay Flowers. They drafted Rashad Bateman. Like they, they may just be different names. Uh, they also have Nelson Aguilar who had a touchdown in that game against the Bengals. Like they may just be different names and none of them giving them the top level production they're hoping, but just changing the names basically fixed all of their woes in the receiving room. Like Mark Andrews, who obviously is now out for season and that's a bigger issue we can talk about later with the Ravens, but like, them changing up the receiver room basically transformed the way that we think of that offense because the running was always there. The coordinator swap was there. Baltimore made the necessary changes in order to keep this thing afloat. Kansas City made the necessary changes in roster construction to keep this thing afloat. Cincinnati has not done that. Buffalo has not done that. And you're seeing Buffalo at the end of this make changes too little too late as they fire Ken Dorsey and they they try and make trades at the deadline to, to rebuild this plane in the sky, like you're seeing Buffalo, who hasn't drafted a pro bowler since 2018, that's now five draft classes where they haven't drafted a pro bowl player, with all respect to Ed Oliver. I mean, Ed Oliver is the closest you're going to get to a pro bowl caliber player. I think he was a pro bowl alternate. Like, they haven't drafted well in three to four years, and all the moves they're making now are too little too late. And I see the Bengals being on that path. I see the Bengals not hitting on draft picks. I see the Bengals losing key free agents and not getting immediate replacement. Again, Dax Hill could turn into something. They could find a diamond in the rough that works in their favor. But we're not seeing the results right now for the Bengals. And that's why I look at this team now that Burrow's out for season, and this is going to be a lost year. And they're essentially where the Ravens were in 2021. When Lamar Jackson went out for season, when the Ravens had the number one seed in the AFC and Lamar went out for the year, and they ended up missing the playoffs that year, that's where the Bengals are right now. And unless they're, and what, you know what Baltimore did after they missed the playoffs in 2021 because of Lamar's injury? Drafted Kyle Hamilton, drafted Michael Oway, ended up bringing in Roquan Smith completely uh, firing their offensive coordinator a year later in Greg Roman and bringing in Todd Munkin, strategic, uh, firing their defensive coordinator and bringing in uh, Mike McDonald from the uh, Michigan coaching staff, brought in two new coordinators, 
four new stars on the defensive side of the ball, completely revamped their wide receiver room, and now have built a team ready to compete because they have the cheat code of that league, which is an MVP quarterback. Cincinnati's got to do some of those changes right now, and I'm not saying it means fire Zach Taylor, and I'm not saying it means they got to get rid of everyone on that offensive line, and I'm not saying that they, I'm not saying they have to make these fundamental moves, but I'm seeing that it's about to be too little, too late. They have, ma- they need to majorly transform that roster, and some of them I think are are clear for even the general manager to recognize. Like, yes, they have to make major transformations on that roster. But they got to make the moves now and into the offseason or else they're going to move to Buffalo Bills territory where it's going to be Joe Burrow who played MVP caliber football when healthy this year and when he wasn't healthy looked kind of garbage at the start of the season and they were making gridiron heights jokes about sometimes Joe Burrow hurts too because Burrow was like 28th in the league in passer rating and 29th in QBR. But like they have to make some fundamental changes to that team because there are fundamental flaws right now of the 16th ranked defense in the league and a team that hasn't had T. Higgins and doesn't really plan to have T. Higgins long term as part of their plan. They haven't drafted a pro bowler in three seasons and they kind of have to reinvent themselves on the fly if they're going to avoid falling into that wild card territory behind Baltimore and and kind of where Pittsburgh has been these last few years of like, hey, roster construction hasn't been up to par. Want to fire a coordinator for three years and haven't done it. Like this is the kind of purgatory that the Bengals are about to enter. And maybe it's not as dramatic as what Baltimore had to do, which was bring in t- over two years, bring in four new Pro Bowlers on defense. I know Owe hasn't made a Pro Bowl yet, but he's on his way there. Like, bring in four new players as stalwarts of the defense, bring in two coordinators, and completely reinvent your wide receiver room. Like, not a single wide receiver stays from two years ago. Maybe it's not as dramatic as that for the Bengals, and they don't need that much of a rebuild around Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. But there are fundamental flaws of that team that they're going to have to switch up and pivot on, and they're going to have to do it pretty quickly because time is not of the essence. This one's already going to be a lost season for Cincinnati, and from this point forward, they got to reinvent themselves uh, and try and build themselves back up to a place where they will be able to get to the AFC Championship game. Because even if Burrow was healthy and even if Burrow was top three in the MVP for the full season, Cincinnati wasn't going to be making it further than the divisional round of the playoffs. Not in this AFC that has Kansas City and Baltimore and Miami and Jacksonville already taking a step ahead of Cincinnati. And oh, by the way, that team in Buffalo isn't actually that bad. I mean, they've got some fundamental flaws and people seem to hate each other, but they're not that bad over there in Buffalo. Oh, and by the way, in your same division, you have the voodoo magic of Mike Tomlin that is just magically propelling this crappy-ass offense. And even though our offense is shit, it just doesn't matter because we are 6-3 and three and we're going to miraculously make it to the playoffs and maybe win a playoff game despite the fact that our offense is just absolutely terrible.
All right, how about those Miami Dolphins? They won 20-13, taking on the Las Vegas Raiders. They turned Aiden O'Connell over like three times. Aiden O'Connell gave it his best effort at the end of that game. He tried his very damnedest to try and bring them back. Their only touchdown of the game was on a fuck it. Devontae Adams got to be down there somewhere pass by Aiden O'Connell. And then for like most of the third quarter, Devontae Adams had zero receiving yards. So Dolphins defense ended up being the winner for them. They lost A-Chan. Terry Kill got hurt in the hand early in the game. But uh, Dolphins had a defensive struggle against the Raiders, and they actually won the game. Now, granted, they'll play offenses better than the Raiders for much of the rest of the season. However, they won't be playing any of those teams until Christmas when they play, I believe, the Eagles and the Buffalo Bills to wrap up the season. And so our friend Juju Talk Sports and I talked about the Miami Dolphins during their bye week last week. Now, this video came out before the Raiders' victory, so some of the context will be applied to that, but I think the Dolphins are an incredibly fascinating team, and since they went out and beat the Raiders this week, and since we talked about them uh, two weeks ago after losing to Kansas City and where things stood for them, a lot of that game was focused on what Kansas City's defense did really well. I wanted to touch on what the Miami Dolphins did really well and where they stand going forward because the Dolphins are now coasting to the AFC East title, their first AFC East title since 2000, which means they're going to have their first home playoff game since 2000. And there's some really interesting stuff going on with the Dolphins. And since they beat up on the Raiders on Sunday, 20-13, to winning a game in a defensive struggle, I think this conversation that our friend Juju Talk Sports and I had uh, applies pretty well to the State of the Union on these Miami Dolphins. Are the Dolphins a paper tiger, Kyle? Compared to Kansas City, they probably are. I think that's the the point there. Because, like, if the Dolphins win the AFC East, would that be regarded as a disappointment? Would they be viewed as a paper tiger in that sense? Because if the Dolphins win the AFC East, that would be their greatest finish in 25 years in franchise history. And I guess the comparison point is like, look at the team on paper versus the team in the results column. And I think they've probably played up to expectation right now, but the Dolphins are in that like two through five group in the AFC where it's going to be really fun to watch them play any of those teams once the playoffs roll around, whether it's a matchup against Buffalo again, a matchup against Jacksonville, a matchup against Baltimore. It's going to be really fun. And all of those teams are gearing up for, if you make it through the gauntlet of the AFC, you get a road playoff game at Arrowhead as the final test. So if the Dolphins do get to that road playoff game at Arrowhead in the divisional round with Kansas City coming off of a bye, yeah, they're probably going to be underdogs. Yeah, it's probably going to feel like a disappointment, but in order for them to get to that point, they will have won their first playoff game since this millennium. <laughs> so it's going to be a really interesting like trade-off for the Dolphins this season because they're in that interesting group of like, this is the best team we've had in 25 years, and we're also not good enough to beat Kansas City. So we'll see how people feel about expectations comparatively. Philadelphia kind of pushed them around a little bit. A.J. Brown was making sensational plays, um, aggressive plays. The brotherly shove, 
They're shoving around the Dolphins' defensive line. A very physical game. And it reminded me of actually a season prior in what the San Francisco 49ers did against this Dolphins team. And they out-physicaled them there too. So, you know, I think about like what are the matchups that this Dolphins team will be facing later in the year, right? And if they have to go on the road, if they have to go on the road and face the Bengals or the Bills... Kansas City, Arrowhead gets cold too, you know, and the Chiefs are playing a much more physical style of defense than they've ever really played um, in the Patrick Mahomes era. So all these teams, you know, present that same kind of issue for this Dolphins team. Heck, even Jacksonville too, they could play that style of bully ball when they really want to. It kind of makes me wonder, like, are, are they similar to last year's version of the Vikings? Like, in which the Vikings, we said similar things about them. Yeah, they're 13 and four, but... Like the second they go against a team that could kind of push them around, which the Giants actually were that team, a team with a built with a strong running game uh, that could control the time of possession that uh, could play that kind of like bully ball style. The Giants were able to push around the Vikings. Do you think they're essentially this year's version of that? I'm not going to go that far because the thing that was so strange about the Vikings is that last year they had a below average offense and a below average defense and were doing all the things that they were doing. So that was kind of strange. Uh, the thing that the Dolphins do really well is that they have a really good offense. And granted, like we were just talking about, they scored 20 against Buffalo, 14 against the Eagles, 14 against Kansas City. So like, yes, there have been ways to counter that offense. Can't The thing Kansas City did really well was bring the two high safeties on Tariq Hill. The way that other teams used to play Tariq Hill was how Kansas City played Tariq Hill in yeah. that Germany game. Can I just add a note there? I think it was a mistake in Tyreek Hill being so vocal about being a part of the game plan going into that game. Like, yes, we expect a certain level of, I want to have a revenge game against my former employer. But at the same time, like, I, I feel like that helped the Chiefs like navigate how they wanted to guard that game. And it didn't obviously help the um, incredible, incredible uh, fumble uh, touchdown that the Chiefs had in that game too. Like, Yeah, and the thing that is also unique about these performances is that uh, Kansas City currently has the fifth ranked defense in the league in terms of total DVOA. Buffalo has the 15th ranked defense, which I was actually surprised by. So like some th- when they play better defenses, yes, there is a bit of a problem there with the with the Dolphins offensively. But the thing that they do really well is they have an elite level offense. Now, their defense is not elite level. Again, their their defense is not very good, actually, this year. Now, granted, they did they did do well against Kansas City, but Kansas City just made some, like, inexplicably bad decisions. Like, just weird timeouts at weird times, just weird run calls on second and ten. Like, just not a very good game call, a game plan by Kansas City, but Kansas City won that game with defense against Miami's offense. And granted, this is the best defense Kansas City has had in the Mahomes Andy Reid era. So like credit to them for playing as well as they did against the Dolphins offense. But the thing that the Dolphins will be able to do well is score points. And the playoff seedings is going to be very important for the Dolphins because matchups are going to be so important here. And the good news for the Dolphins, uh, you know how we're talking about their losses have come against teams that are regarded as top elite level teams, or at least have been elite level teams in the past. Uh, The Dolphins don't play a team with a winning record until Christmas. So that's a nice pick me up for the Dolphins going forward here is that they don't have to play any teams with a winning record until Christmas. They'll be either 10 and four 
or 11 and three. And by that point, all they need is Buffalo to drop one, maybe two games, and they'll have already locked up the AFC East, which will guarantee them, and I can't believe I'm saying this, their first home playoff game since before Tom Brady was quarterbacking the Patriots. Well, you know, they do have two games against the Jets here, and those obviously are going to be instrumental games um, in the grand picture. And you mentioned their struggles against tougher defenses. I mean, certainly for all the issues that the Jets offense has, that Jets defense is legitimate. So it makes you wonder if those are going to be some ugly slugfest type games coming up against the Jets prior to that uh, Cowboys game you're referencing on uh, Christmas Eve. But, you know, you look at the in-between time, you got the Raiders, you have the Commanders, and you have a Titans team that I think they can certainly take advantage of uh, from their offensive standpoint. Like, those are going to be big blow-up games, again, probably for Tyreek Hill. In fact, this Raiders game, I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking to myself, like, is Tyreek Hill, after getting embarrassed by his former team, going to put up, like, 250 yards this coming week? I'd probably bet the over on this upcoming Raiders game. And uh, Mike... This is really going to test him as a head coach, these losses, right? Because he had a very powerful quote in his press conference saying, if you want to change the narrative, you got to start changing the narrative by based, well, you know, winning these games. So his next test, you know, I think that while you can't ignore the games in between, I think he has to put a lot of focus on those that final stretch of games, Cowboys, Ravens, Bills. Those are going to be highly important to get your team at least some positive, feel-good energy going into the playoffs. Because if they are going to snap like that drought of winning a playoff game in general, they'll need to show that they can beat some of these higher-level teams, right? Um, they can't like go into – if I told you they go into the playoffs 0-6 against teams with winning records, then there's just going to be no faith or confidence in this team or in this team moving forward. We've talked about their struggles defensively. They did get Jalen Ramsey back, so that's good for them, you know, and building that defense. Obviously, they still need Xavier Howard there, and then they got that two-corner tandem that I think will give them a lot of reprieve in their secondary. You know, there are some positive things to look at for this team as well. It's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, no, they they have two top-end edge rushers. I'm not going to say elite because there's only but so many elite, but they have two top-end pass rushers too in Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips, and that can make a lot. If you can get pressure rushing with four, that makes up for a lot of your defensive lapses. And by the way, they still have Christian Wilkins in the middle of that defense, who is still, last time I checked, a former first-round pick who's like 320 pounds of muscle. So, yeah, that's the, the defense. The front four is very much intact for the Dolphins, assuming good health. They have a very strong front four with Chubb and Phillips and Christian Wilkins. But you mentioned the the three teams that they play at the end of the season that are above 500, being the Cowboys, the Ravens, and the Bills. Um, like I said earlier, seeding is going to matter a lot for the Dolphins because if we were to play a, a thought experiment right now of, like, guess the spread, um, let's say the Dolphins are the five seed in the AFC. They don't quite win the division. Buffalo gets them the last week of the season, wins a tiebreaker. Buffalo gets the division. Uh, if you had a wildcard game, Dolphins five, Buffalo four, what do you think the point spread is going into that game? Dolphins five, Buffalo four. Um, oh at man, Buffalo. so yeah, at Buffalo, huh? Probably like three and a half, something like that. In favor of the Bills. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, too, like you're saying, the Bills as the home team. Let's not 
excuse the Bills. The Bills have been struggling too. So I, honestly, I would say that that's unlikely. I would probably flip that in general because I would not bank on the Bills out of the AFC East. In fact, well, I think so. I would say the Dolphins for all this talk too. I still think they're going to win the AFC East just fine. Yeah. So that would just be a scenario where they play the last week of the season. Buffalo wins. They both end up, say, 12 and five and Buffalo wins the tiebreaker because they beat the Dolphins twice. That would be the scenario where that happens. So then say we flip it around and now the Dolphins are the three seed because they went, you know, two and one in that final three game stretch and they finished 13 and four. Say they end up as the three seed and they're playing six seeded Buffalo. What's the point spread in that game looking like? Six seed Buffalo at three seed Miami. Maybe three. I feel like it would be as close to being like a push as you can get, given that you would give Miami the three points for their home field advantage. Yeah. And then say, flip it around, Dolphins end up as the four seed by some, you know, however it breaks down, and they play a five seeded Cincinnati Bengals on their home field. What is Cincinnati at Miami looking like in the wild card game? maybe two one and a half because I feel like a lot of people would also give a lot of love to Joe Burrow and the Bengals because they've been there done that before so again the the, the end of the season is going to matter a lot matchups are going to matter a lot if the Dolphins are going to get that one playoff win because remember if they're the three seed and they win they likely avoid Kansas City until the AFC championship game now granted they might have to go like at two seeded Jacksonville for a playoff game or they might have to go to at two-seeded Baltimore for a playoff game but they would avoid Kansas City until potentially the AFC championship game if they end up in the four or the five they got to play Kansas City in the second round of the playoffs on the road at Kansas City where by the way Patrick Mahomes has never played a road playoff game before so he's used to these moments so And Kansas City would probably be like a five and a half, six point favorite against any of these teams on their home field come playoff time. So, yeah, I I think that matchups are going to matter a whole lot for the Dolphins. Seeding is going to matter a lot for the Dolphins because they are in that group of two to five or two to six, depending on how you feel about the, the Cincinnati Bengals. They're in that group of two to six that are all jockeying for positioning, fighting for positioning so that they can ultimately give their best punch at Kansas City. And if you can get past them, you can probably get to the Super Bowl. And, you know, we haven't even mentioned this. I I think we largely avoided talking about this. Uh, The confidence level in Tua, has that been at all diminished how he's played in these three losses? Nah, Tua's in in a tier of quarterback class that is basically like, I know you are very good and also know that you have a very talented team. So I don't know how to exactly evaluate you. Tua, Jalen Hurts, and Brock Purdy are all kind of in that same group for me at this point, which is like, I know you can do things very good, but I also know that you are getting a lot of help from your coaches or your talent or some thing that other quarterbacks of your skill set don't have access to. So yeah, Tua, uh, nothing, nothing new on Tua. I don't know if I'd give him a long-term contract. I don't know if the Dolphins are going to give him a long-term contract. At what dollar value is kind of the question. But no, nothing's changed for me on Tua. I recognize Tua is one of the 15 best quarterbacks in the NFL. And because of his incredible accuracy, is is a quarterback well-tailored to this offense. And probably part of that is Mike McDaniel recognizing what he has in Tua and contouring an offense and play calling that puts Tua's best skill set at the forefront. 
most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. All righty, everybody. It's that time of week, a week where we hand out the award to the quarterback who found themselves down six, no timeouts, one minute to play, and needing to go the length of the field on this fine football week 11. That's right, it's the Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award, and we had a lot of excellent nominees this week. Excellent, excellent cases. Uh, C.J. Stroud threw another red zone interception in the fourth quarter that put Kyler Murray in a position where he was down five with one timeout and needing to go the length of the field. We had Sam Howell, another performance by him in the Kirk Cousins purgatory category. It doesn't matter who he's playing. He could be playing Jalen Hurts or Tommy DeVito. Both of those have happened this year. Sam Howell found himself down six, no timeouts, one minute to go, and needing to go the length of the field. He threw a pick six to Isaiah Simmons, and that was a strong, strong candidate this week. Uh, We mentioned Aiden O'Connell earlier, him trying to go... Kirk Cousins purgatory and F it. Devontae Adams got to be down there somewhere all game long. That was a strong candidate, but there is one winner this week, and that is the man who replaced Phillip Rivers out there in Los Angeles. That is Justin Herbert with a masterclass of Kirk Cousins purgatory by the Chargers, the team that used to be consistently down six, no timeouts, one minute to play, and needing to go the length of the field with Phillip Rivers. Because this week, the Chargers had the opportunity to take the lead multiple times against the Green Bay Packers in the fourth quarter. Keenan Allen, with the sun in his eyes, had a pass hit him directly in the sternum at the goal line with no Green Bay Packers around him, hit him directly in the chest, and fell to the ground because the sun in Lambeau was messing with his ability to see the football, I would presume, because it's the only explanation I can think of for just straight missing a touchdown pass in the fourth quarter. With the ball on the two-yard line, right as the NFL Red Zone broadcast shows 60% win probability for the Chargers. They're down four, they have it at the goal line, right as the Red Zone shows 60% win probability for the Chargers, Austin Eckler slips. Austin Eckler gets up on a handoff at the three-yard line. Austin Eckler fumbles the football, and the Green Bay Packers took over. And a missed field goal was in there. All of those mess-ups by the Chargers. When they could have taken the lead, they could have tied the game. The Chargers just had to find themselves down three, no timeouts, one minute to play. Justin Herbert, you win the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award for week 11. I want to touch on a few things about the Chargers real quick at the end here, too, because our friend Morgan from Australia was crushing Justin Herbert for losing that game. Our friend Juju Talk Sports in our group chat had one of the worst takes he's ever had, saying that Justin Herbert's clutch gene is non-existent. Like, people were crushing Herbert after losing that game. And yes, the pass that he threw to Quinton Johnson, if it was two inches shorter, would have been a completion. And so maybe you can point to that two-inch difference being the difference between the Chargers winning and the Chargers losing. But 
like we talked about a second ago, Keenan Allen had the game-winning touchdown hit his sternum and fall to the ground. Eckler fumbled at the goal line. The Chargers just had so many dumb ways that they lost that game. And obviously, it's the Chargers. The Chargers lose games in dumb ways all the time. We're a six-year recovering Charger fan. We know how this story goes with the Chargers. But the Chargers losing this game specifically and falling to 4-6 and six in an AFC playoff where 7-3 and three gets you the 7 seed right now. The 7 seed is at 7-3 and three at this point in the AFC playoffs. I think it's actually 6-4 and four now because the Steelers lost... Six and four is now the playoff spot in the AFC, but six and four is your playoff spot. There are 10 teams ahead of the Chargers on the standings right now. And like maybe the Chargers will turn a corner here and they'll get to 10 and seven and they'll be able to make the playoffs. But like the way that I'm looking at this thing right now, the Chargers are going to miss the playoffs this year. And if the Chargers miss the playoffs, Brandon Staley is going to get fired. And so this loss, I think, puts a bow or a wrap on the Brandon Staley era for the Chargers. Like, he might not get fired today. He might not get fired this week. But this is all inevitably headed towards Brandon Staley getting fired. And as soon as the Chargers look up and see that they are not going to be able to make the playoffs, that's when they cut bait with Brandon Staley. Is is the moment that there is a 0% chance in their mind that they're going to make the playoffs, regardless of what the probability says, regardless of what the standings say. Once the Chargers, in their mind, view this as a lost season, that's when they'll cut bait with Brandon Staley. Maybe that's on Tuesday. Maybe that's next week. Maybe that's after they get smoked by Kansas City again. But the Chargers are headed towards firing Brandon Staley at some time in the near future. Like It's a wrap on this run for the Chargers, losing to this Packers team a Packers team that's not going to make the playoffs, a Packers team that they should be better than, and as the win probability showed, they had a 60% chance of winning that game in the fourth quarter. That's going to be the end of Brandon Staley's time with the Chargers, Uh, not because of them losing this game specifically, but because this season is just about a wrap for the Chargers at 4-6. and They're fighting for a meaningless seventh playoff seed, and that meaningless seven playoff seed might require them to go six and one the remainder of the season. So that's that's just about a wrap on the Chargers season with this loss specifically. They got to jump like four teams in the AFC playoffs, one of them being Buffalo. I don't think those are going to be good odds for the Chargers at this point going forward. But it's not Justin Herbert. He's doing his darndest. He's ha- he isn't an elite quarterback, but there are days where he plays like a top four quarterback, and there's days that he plays like a top ten quarterback. And regardless of how good he plays, the Chargers are going to be in one-score games because they went from having the worst rushing defense in NFL history to having one of the worst passing defenses in NFL history, all within a span of one Brandon Staley head coaching tenure. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to our NFL Monday podcast. We got episodes every single Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and a bonus episode this Tuesday. We are talking about Eagles and Chiefs. That game is just too good for us to let go, so we'll have a post-game show following that. Make sure to stay tuned for content all throughout this week leading into Thanksgiving. We appreciate your continued support of this show. We will chat with you again tomorrow following Philadelphia and Kansas City. And in the meantime, take it easy.
Also, congratulations to you, Tommy DeVito, on getting your first NFL win. Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray Right through the very heart of it New York, New York. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.